it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sarcastically skeptical. Sarcastically That's right. Welcome to the podcast. It is so good to be back with you. I'm in a brand new studio that we will get to later, probably in Patreon type content. That brand new intro music, by the way, is a band called Chasing Desolation. Go look them up, go follow them, go subscribe and and follow on Spotify and Apple Music and everywhere else you get your music. Chasing Desolation, one of my all-time favorite bands, and I absolutely love those guys. Please go check them out. But I'm so happy to be with you in this new concept, this new umbrella. Man, I am re-excited about this show. Is it is it rejuvenated? Is it is it re God, there's something. There's a word you're thinking of it. I can't think of it right now. I am I'm I'm reignited. My my passion is here, and I'm excited about this. Uh my other passion, of course, stand-up comedy acting. I do have a new movie coming out. I'm getting closer to uh, being able to tell you about that movie, the name of it, and what it's about. Trust me, if you enjoy this podcast, you're going to enjoy the movie. Um, and I will say that I am also coming to Phoenix and Little Rock, Arkansas. I will be in Phoenix April 14th and 15th, in technically in Glendale, Arizona, at Stir Crazy Comedy Club. And I will be at the Looney Bin in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, the last weekend of April. So all of the tickets are available right now at davidcsmalley.com. Now, I am going with a friend of mine named Todd Rex. And so when you click on the ticket link, you may see Todd Rex instead of me. You, you may see both of us. I'm not sure which link is out. That's it. That's the right one. If you see Todd Rex, you see David C. Smalley. We're on there together. So go grab those tickets. Again, Phoenix, April 14th, 15th, and Little Rock, Arkansas. I believe it's April 26th through the 29th. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that's the last weekend. I'd have to look at a calendar. But anyway, on the road doing comedy, back in Hollywood, uh, April 17th uh, with Eliza and Brent Morin and um, Jason uh, Collings. And it's just going to be a fantastic show at the Hollywood Improv, davidcsmalley.com, where you can get your tickets. And if you're always like, man, you always come on here and mention you're going to some town and I'm never in that town. Well, 
now's your chance because there is a virtual comedy show happening May 13th. It's launching my tour, and the tour, you ready for the title, is called Good White. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my special whenever I film it, Good White. So we are calling the first virtual comedy show Good White. I will be headlining a virtual comedy show where I'll have 30 feet of screens wrapped around me, and I'll be able to see you and hear you and hear your laughter on Zoom. So you can buy a ticket and be a part of the virtual audience and unmute so I can hear if you think I am funny. So that is available on my website as well. Or you can go straight to NowhereComedy.com and buy that virtual ticket. I'm going to be in a studio in Los Angeles with these 30 feet of screens wrapped around me. So I'll be able to see all your beautiful faces just like I'm in a comedy club. And there are going to be some VIP tickets available as well to stay and hang out after and ask some questions and, and have some dialogue. But it's going to be a fantastic show. It's going to be a blast. I've got a couple of comics opening for me. And then I am headlining. That is May 13th, the Saturday before Mother's Day. So sit your mama down and let's have a, a nice little adult <laughs> R-rated comedy show uh, with mom. Yeah, why not? You, you, if you got a cool mom, she can handle it. Anyway, all of that is available at davidcsmalley.com. I hope to see you in the virtual audience May 13th. My guest today said he would never come back on this show. My guest retired from these types of conversations. And I don't know what happened. Maybe he prayed about it. I don't know. We're going to have to get to the bottom of that. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and give you that smally sigh in advance. I think this is his seventh appearance. We lost count together. Might be number eight. I don't know. I don't think it matters at this point. Please join me in welcoming youth pastor John Gary back to the podcast. John, thanks for joining me, man. What's up? <sighs> You said you were done with all this nonsense, buddy. What happened? Yeah, man, I I, uh, I tried to escape it, but just really couldn't. Um, no matter, I guess because of the platform I created for myself on TikTok and the way I built that platform, um, I just constantly got drawn back into conversations, started creating relationships with philosophers and theologians and uh scientists and all, all this different things just by in the same way you and I met we yeah. met uh through my very first video and then you invited me on the podcast and so because of the platform I created for myself on TikTok it was just ultimately inevitable uh that these conversations were going to continue now there was a time where I completely and, and we'll get into why but there was a time where I I did not uh really debate and argue or conversate about this stuff very much. I would more so just make response videos here and there to things that I was seeing. And then I got slowly away from that. I've like, I've, I've been at a hundred thousand followers for over a year now and I haven't really cared to really push the envelope. I could, but it, I'm, I'm personally more into my own research and my own study than I am uh, the TikTok game, but yeah, I've I've been having these conversations uh, even even since maybe maybe eight nine months after my last podcast with you. Um, now I will say I, you were probably my last formal debate um, until. <laughs> 
<laughs> until this one guy. So there was a guy on TikTok. His name was um, uh, I, I, okay. I won't dox him. His name was Mike, and he took one of my videos and he edited me out of context. Like I think and, we I think we talked about that. No, 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 no. You're you're talking about the Pine Creek thing. Oh, that okay. Was, that was um. Wow, you got it twice, huh? Well, he didn't edit me out of context necessarily. Like he put the full question. He just. Pine Creek, what he did was he put all of my my pauses into one video. So yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's editing me out of context as oh, okay. much as those sighs happened. I didn't know how to answer his questions. And then he just kind of put my ignorance on display. And gotcha. that pissed me off. Right. Gotcha. But okay. uh, it's another thing when someone literally edits you out of context on something you say and then just knocks down a straw man of the argument mm-hmm. um, to make them look superior. And so. I debated him and I was not, it, it was probably my, my most aggressive conversation I'd ever had um, to where I was just, I was ready to throw fireballs from my eyes. So, <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about the reason you gave for walking away and giving it all up because I think that's important. It's, it's such a, yeah. it's such a unique and honest thing that you said on the show uh, when you're on your last appearance here, you were like, yeah, I, you know, during the moment, like in the heat of the discussion, you kind of just did openly admitted. You're like, I'm not really listening. I'm not really like learning or trying to grow. It's more so I feel the need to win. And, yeah. and that you were the, you're the only person in the 13 years of me having this show to ever openly say that. And I appreciate that honesty because I've seen it for years. People would just, they would move the goalpost. Like my, my listeners would use terms like um, equivocation fallacy or mental gymnastics or whatever. Or they'd be like, oh, this was so tough to listen to. This was so hard. All of it boiled down to the guests just wouldn't really listen. They wouldn't respond to what I was saying. They just wanted to feel and sound like they were winning in that moment. And that's got to be intimidating. That's got to be hard when you feel like, you know, eternity's on the line. And if someone hears something that you say in the wrong way and they stop believing, you know, or you feel like you failed your faith, like that's got to be a lot of pressure. But no one's ever openly admitted that, that that's what's going on. They just, you know, they just kind of block it out. You were the only one to ever come on and say, you know, I just feel like I have to win and that's the focus. And if that's my focus, I feel like I should step away. And I think it's been maybe a year since that conversation. And you said you were just done with these conversations because you wanted it to be productive. You didn't want to just feel the need to win all the time. Yeah, it's, it's been over a year. Um, so there was a point where I was serving in a church in South Carolina and I was there for over a year and I wasn't hardly doing TikTok at all, like maybe a video on the weekend or something like that. Uh, but I wasn't really having conversations or um, I was just kind of, again, doing my own research. But yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm at a point now where I'd say that's not the case. I'm at a point now where I'm more willing to change my positions provided solid logical argumentation than... I was uh, when we had that last conversation because I was just like it, it is it is no there's no secret. Um, the reason I am the man I am today and 
the knowledge that I have gained over this short period of time since our very first conversation is because of you. Like you, our very first podcast, like uh, prior to us talking today, I sent you the video of my battle station for our very first time we ever debated. <laughs> and um, for people who can't see the video, it, it was like I had a table full of papers. I had a, I had chips, sun chips specifically and uh <laughs> i had bottles of water five like, my, five bottles of water yeah I, w- I was i was ready to fight and so um I and, I, and i'm assuming the, and i'm assuming a catheter no 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 catheter thank god you gave me bathroom breaks <laughs> i did no because those conversations were like four or five hours yeah those first ones were intense yeah yeah i have no idea what tonight's gonna be like i mean i'm i'm not let me put it this way, because that was my first conversation with an atheist. Um, when you're in church and you're indoctrinated, you are having this idea simultane- simultaneously kind of instilled in your very being that, okay, because Christianity is so true or because your religion is so true and everything else is so false that people who are false are just, you know, dumb, right? Right, right. And so, and and, and, and evil as well, by the way, because so I think, I think that, that atheists tend to look at Christians as though they're not quite as smart. And I feel like Christians look at atheists as though they know better. They're just influenced by the devil and literally doing Satan's work. And so I feel like Christians look at, at atheists as though they are evil while atheists look at Christians as though they're not all that bright. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of discrepancy on both sides. And so what I went into that first conversation with, and I, I may have said this in other podcasts, like you said, this is like our seventh or eighth. So if I rehash some stuff from the past, then I'm sorry. But um, when I went into that conversation, it was just like, okay, um, first off, in my research, I was like, holy crap, there's a lot more to my beliefs than I've ever been told. Because like even apologetics, right? Apologetics, philosophy, anything like that is not really touched on in church. It's more so just preaching um, a lot of the times. In the churches I was raised in, it's like, here's the Bible. Here's God's word. Here's what it says. And it was more so just preaching. It wasn't like a defense for your faith. And so when you said, hey, come on my podcast, we're going to talk about God's omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. I'm like, okay, well, that I know what those things are, like all-knowing, all-powerful, all this, all that. And um, then I started researching, and I'm like, holy cow, how have I never – like h- how deep does the rabbit hole go? Um, and so th- that was my first introduction not only to atheism but also to apologetics. And so – um, that's when I, I went in and I started researching for the first time and I got a taste of it and I, I, I liked it. And then I got a taste of the debating world and, uh, being able to challenge cause I've never been like into politics very much, right? Politics bore me more than anything else. They're really important, but they, they just bore me. Um, whereas in like understanding the very fabric of our reality and why we're here, uh, those types of questions interest me a lot more. So, so what, what has changed that that now you are open to, even though you know people are listening to your voice right now, 
you're willing to say, oh, I I didn't think of it that way or, or yeah, I need to rethink that position or maybe I'm wrong about that. Why do you think you're able to do that now, but you weren't able to do that then? Well, I would I would say primarily indoctrination, right? Um, the idea of accepting what you believe uncritically, and then the moment you try to criticize it, it really puts you into like a crisis of faith. So my first conversation with you, you kicked my butt, and I realized, crap, atheists are not what I thought they were. This this little booger's smart, and so <laughs> I basically went from there, and I said, okay, well, I want to dive into this a lot more. And there, there was a time where I was just constantly just looking at my own belief and um, examining it and trying – like we all have biases. What's important is that we're not seeking to confirm those biases. Um, and so I, I, I really wanted to step back and look at my belief and say, okay, like um, – and like I said, I may have said this before, but one of the things that I looked at – First is uh, the resurrection. That was one of the main things because it's like the litmus test in the Bible. And we just celebrated Easter and churches all over the world celebrated Easter. And if you were, you know, you were looking for a word um, to like talk about like reigniting your podcast. I was on mute, but I was just screaming resurrection. Um, (laughs) No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, I, I can, I can then clearly say that I got, I got David Smalley to admit resurrection. No. <laughs> uh, no. So yeah. but I, I just started doing all these things and, um, skepticism is absolutely important to the human experience in order to evaluate and, uh, kind of put the claims that we make to the test. And so long story short, that, that first podcast was kind of the thing that, dug me into this this mentality of okay um it's okay to question things and i'm great and i'm grateful for it because uh i mean on the other side of it my faith is stronger now <laughs> than it ever has been um and All i right, have well I have you think for well that, so. let's 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 see what we can do about that um <laughs> <laughs> so with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, so if you feel like that first conversation was really rough on you, why did you come back for number two? Oh, because honestly, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I wanted to – the reason I came back for two, three, four is because, one, I did enjoy the rush, right? So debating can kind of be addictive if you're not careful, um, and so I did enjoy the rush. There's two sides to that rush, though. There's one side where it's the rush of encountering new arguments that you yourself haven't thought of. The second side to the rush, and this is where I'm not as proud in this, is I was also getting the rush of, wow, all these other Christians just – they keep uh, encouraging me and telling me how smart I am. And, and mm. so there was like a prideful side to the rush as well as like I'm getting this affirmation from Christians and because – most of them that I encounter, I would say the vast majority of Christians have no idea why they believe what they believe. Um, I think the majority of Christians, at least in like evangelical movements and whatnot, they are very indoctrinated into their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was getting a taste of the glory of going in there and quote unquote, kicking atheists, butts. um, but then I was also getting like this, this addictive high to the conversations and learning the ins and out of argumentation and uh, stuff, stuff of that nature. Okay, so before we get into like the story about the church that you had to leave, because that was a fascinating story, and I'm not going to share any sort of private stuff, but I know you weren't happy with what went down, and I know – my listeners are very curious as to what could go wrong between a youth pastor and their church. Um, we're going to talk about that later, uh, very likely in the Patreon portion of the show. But So before we get into all that, you've also texted me that your views on hell changed. So this is interesting to me because that's a pretty big deal. Um, remind us of where you were the last time we talked on on the topic of hell. Yeah, I I, uh, I was more eternal conscious torment. Um, I'd say predominantly it's because of lack of research. So again, leading back into the indoctrination idea is, okay, what is it I've been taught pretty much my whole life? Why is it true? Um, or is it true? And so when you start to really evaluate your own positions um, – that's where you're introduced to new argumentation. It's where you're introduced to new ideas. Okay. Um, and so, atheism is definitely like among those when you're evaluating like the existence of God and so on and so forth. Like I don't think atheism is an unrational position or, or irrational position. Um, but yeah. Okay. So so last time we talked, your position you said you said eternal Conscious torment? Yeah, so so the, the view is uh, ECT, eternal conscious torment, in uh, like a very literal representation. 
So the idea of hellfire burning, worm never dying, um, all of these different things. So I'm aware that I'm being tortured so that I can feel the pain. Yeah. So uh, eternal conscious torment is the awareness of the suffering. Absolutely. Okay. So my, my issue with, with, with this eternal conscious torment thing, this idea that you can feel pain outside the body. Like everything that we know about pain and pain receptors and neurology all happens within the physical body. So even when I was a believer, I was like, it doesn't make sense how my body could be gone. I would just be in a spiritual, like metaphysical ghost-like state, which means I wouldn't have neurons. I wouldn't have nerves. I wouldn't have flesh. So setting my flesh on fire or my body on fire or somehow making me hot, I wouldn't have a nervous system to feel the pain. So it, it never really, I don't know. That was one of the first things that started to break down for me. And I started to go, wait, I'm not scared of that. Because even if there was a place of fire, I'd be able to walk right through it. I'd be like Casper. I'd be just like floating through stuff whenever I did believe that stuff. So I never understood how someone could be afraid of 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 torment or hell anyway because you know you you can't you can't feel pain without nerves. Uh do you still think there is some form of eternal punishment? Do you think anybody is like set on fire or tortured or feels any pain in the afterlife? Yeah, so if I'm going to steel man um this idea properly, I would just say this. There's two views having to do with eternal conscious torment. One, that uh, on Judgment Day, resurrection, whatever you want to call it, that you're given a new glorified body, right? And then on the Day of Judgment, that glorified body will either go eternally to heaven or eternally to hell. And so you'll be given like a body we have now. Um, the idea is you'll be given a new body that is immortal. Wait, hold and on, so hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Do you – isn't the idea of hell a metaphysical place or do you think it is a physical place somewhere in the depths of the earth? So I'm, I'm not presenting my position. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Is the, is the idea that hell is a physical place on earth? Uh, so it depends who you talk to. Um, there are some who would say, yes, hell is in the heart of the earth. There are some who says, no, it's more of a spiritual place, but it is an actual like, well, maybe not spiritual. It's an actual location that is in a different realm. Okay. So um, th that's what doesn't make sense is having a physical body in a metaphysical realm. It doesn't make sense that there would be this sort of transition of a physical real body into a spiritual existence. Yeah. So you're well, still feeling pain in a physical body, but the pain is happening in a spiritual metaphysical realm. Yeah. So like I said, the idea is that even in a different realm, it still has material properties, right? So if I'm, if I'm steel manning the idea of hell, for someone who believes in eternal conscious torment, I'm going to say something along the lines of, okay, when I die, um, my spirit will receive a new body. This body will, from the dust you are to the dust you will return. I'm going to receive a new body. That new body is going to be in a material place such as heaven, 
right? So uh, heaven is described as having material properties such as streets of gold, gates of pearl. Like there's things that are uh, attributed to our sensory experience to where we say, I can see this, I can touch this, I can feel this um, to some way. It's just in a separate realm. So when we're saying it's spiritual, it's not going to be in the case of if I touch something that my hand's going to just go right through it like a cloud. It's saying it is metaphysical in uh, not necessarily in the sense of not being able to interact with it, but it's just in a in a higher realm, right? And so if I'm someone who adheres to eternal conscious torment, I'm going to say, okay, my body dies. I'm given a new body, and then at judgment, God is either going to give that new body the ability to be in heaven and have eternal bliss. It's, or- it's hard, John. It's hard for me not to push back. I know this isn't your position, so I'm not going to push back. But that everything that just sounds so absurd. It doesn't make any sense where this new body comes from. What age is the body? What brain is in the body? What experiences does that brain remember? I mean, it's just so bizarre. I mean, you, the soul can't retain memories. We know memories happen in the brain because whenever we we do surgery on the brain, memories can be lost personalities are changed when someone goes through brain surgery so it's not like the personality exists in some sort of spiritual soul and then that that personality can be reinserted we know that the personality exists within the brain so and and again it's not your position so i don't want to argue with you about it but it it's so yeah. hard to hear that i appreciate you trying to steal man someone's argument that you disagree with but for now let's just talk about what you actually believe so you've shifted your position you no longer think that that we will or that i will be eternally tormented consciously so so what do you think happens now do i get to just uh do i get to just have my bourbon and be left alone i I mean ultimately yeah so uh the idea of conditional immortality is the idea that immortality is conditional right there there's a condition uh to you partaking in immortality and so 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 immortality is the reward that is the heaven is if you play along with God's rules and you are a good person and you dot all the I's and cross all the T's and whatever it takes, whatever, whatever we could have a different argument about what it means to go to heaven or whatever. But you know, yeah. the, the idea would be that existing f- for eternity is the reward and just not existing is the punishment. Yeah, so the, the exactly. No, no. Yeah. You know, I've made that case for years on this show. I've made the case why not? Why can't the good why can't the the good ones quote unquote, yes, I use air quotes on a podcast cuz I'm good at this. Um the good ones get to go to heaven and the bad ones just don't exist anymore. Why does there have to be hell? Why does there have to be eternal torment and punishment if God is good? It's not like it's not like that 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 punishment's gonna you know make this person uh, better later. It's not gonna be corrective, right? It's not a correctional facility. It's literally just for unless vengeance. It's unless just what so, unless you're Catholic. So within the doctrines of hell, represented theologically across the spectrum, you have these ideas right? for, for have, purgatory. You mean say what yeah for purgatory purgatory, where you can be prayed out where hell is more rehabilitative so you have eternal conscious torment where it's like literal hellfire 
literal glorified body that is tortured forever and flesh never decays. You just always have sensory pain. Then you have the, um, the idea of like a purgatory where you're in hell for a little bit, but it's rehabilitative. You can be prayed out. Then you have different views of um, annihilationism or conditional immortality. Then you have uh, finally universalism, and there's different versions of universalism. So, okay, okay. So, so your new view is that you will <laughs> again, not to be sarcastic, but that's kind of my thing now. Um, you get to go on living forever because you were a good boy, but because I was skeptical of th these things and. Uh, pushed back against some of the things that I didn't think made sense, then I, when I die, I just no longer exist. Yeah, that's fine. Huh. Okay. So I guess the next question would be, what's so bad about asking questions and pushing back and saying I don't believe it? Because, well, sorry, and I hate when, when, when podcast hosts do this, they ask a question, then give their answer, but I'm just going to do that for this one time. Um, I say because, just to add to it, why, the, why, that, why I ask the question, because it's confusing to me, if I were in the position of the God or the Christian or the person who was like arguing with people my entire existence, trying to prove something that seemed far-fetched or seemed untrue to a lot of people, and then I turned out to be right, my favorite part of post-life existence would be showing all these damn atheists how cool heaven could be. Like, maybe Christians get VIP parking or something, but, you know, it, it would be cool to say, you look, come on in. We're very welcoming. Our entire principle is forgiveness. Come on in, as long as you're willing to acknowledge the existence now and play by some rules, you can you can come in the VIP behind the velvet rope. But if not, you can choose to not exist. You could take this pill, you go away forever, or you can just join us and, and come on in. And I got to tell you, John, a lot of non-believers would say, piss off, I want nothing to do with that guy, I'm out. I wouldn't want to live forever. Um, yeah. but, but, but why not that? Why, what's so bad about what I do, being skeptical of the Bible, being skeptical, you know, kind of mocking it, putting it into my comedy, all this, what's so bad about being skeptical of something if it's true and the person who we're talking about or the God we're talking about is literally the creator of the universe, why, why would his ego be so fragile that a little puny wrong human would make him so angry that he would just want me to not exist anymore? Why not allow me to go into the afterlife and then show me that I was wrong so that I can join the ranks of his followers? Yeah. And so if you're, if you're talking to a universalist like that, that's uh Christocentric universalism is that idea that you're given the option, um, huh. to you can reject it. Uh, and then you're, you're, you're not, you're just going to disappear. Christocentric universalism would say something along those lines. But as from my view with conditional immortality, um, it does have to do with what we do in this life and how we, how we look for truth. Um, and if, 
like so uh you're calling yourself the uh something skeptic right now sarcastic skeptic sarcasm or whatever um sure is your skepticism healthy to where you're open to uh new information like is your skepticism healthy to where you're open for logical arguments, philosophical arguments for God's existence, to where you're open to evaluate how you uh, gauge your own epistemology and how you come to truth on certain conclusions? And so I think sometimes it can be the ignorance of man, and I'm not calling you ignorant. Um, I, I think you're a very intelligent guy. But I think uh, sometimes we can – Engage. Well, hold on, hold on. I have to say, thank you for the compliment, but ignorance has nothing to do with intelligence. Well, I, w I would say ignorance has to do with... Um, One can be very intelligent, yet still ignorant of certain facts. So I just want to separate the two. I, I, I think yes. it's a... That's fine. A I, I, I wasn't meaning it in that sense. Okay. Uh, I'm saying ignorance regarding, let's just say... Uh, let's say hypothetically there is an argument for God's existence that you're ignorant to, um, but in your skepticism that even that argument would not necessarily do it for you. Um, there's debates that William Lane Craig has had where uh, he was having a conversation with someone about the resurrection. And the guy said, um, I would believe if uh, – God stepped down from heaven, wiggled his big toe or something to that effect. And um, William Lynn Craig looked at him and said, well, how do you know you how, – how would you be able to justify you're not just having a hallucination? And so I think uh, to say all that, I think there's healthy skepticism and I think there's unhealthy skepticism. Um, I think unhealthy skepticism is where like before when we were talking uh, a year and something ago – Unhealthy skepticism is where you're like in a position where you're just fighting for what you believe is true without actually really considering the possibility of the alternative. Whereas in a healthy skepticism <clears throat> says, okay, I could be wrong about this. And then like I, I, I think you could probably agree that there is a difference so, between healthy skepticism and unhealthy. Okay. So yes, of course, but – I think we would disagree as to what that looks like because, you know, some of us do this so long that <laughs> we, we do get a little fed up with some of the nonsensical responses. We get a little fed up with debunking the same thing over and over and over and having the person on our, on our show or, or people have YouTube channels or TikTok or whatever, having this, you know, different people every week or, or, you know, once every three months, a different human comes on the show and then they are presented with this argument and they backtrack and go, Oh no, 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 I don't know. I need to look into that. I've never thought about it that way. And then you hear them on another show three days later using the same argument despite it being uh, a problem the day before or a few days before. Or someone coming back on the show rehashing an argument that was already taken care of. And I, I could provide specific examples if you want me to. But there are things okay. that – I too from the atheist side and in conversations I've had. 
I mean, um, I would actually, I do want to know what those are. Maybe we can get into those in just a moment. So be thinking about those because the, the, the last part of this, this conversation I want to get into is your biggest issue with, with unbelief or non-believers in general. I want to know what your biggest issue is. I texted you that your response to me was very interesting. So I, I want to get into that. Uh, but, uh, that that can get a little frustrating, and I, and w- let me let me just let me say it like this. So let's say, let's say you know the first time someone comes on, and I'm talking you know 13 years ago, I'm I'm talking with a with a pastor, and he says God is the author of morality, and is where we get all of our good from. And I go, then why did he condone slavery? And he goes, he didn't condone slavery. And I go, look at this Bible verse and this Bible verse and this Bible verse. And he goes, yeah, yeah, but that's just indentured servitude. And I go, but this says slavery, and it says you can pass the slaves down to your children because they are your property. And he stops in his tracks and goes, oh, I didn't realize that it said that in that verse of Leviticus and I'm – or Exodus or whichever the verse is, and then he backs out. Uh, 2544. Yeah, 25. And then he goes, okay, I need to rethink that. I'll make a note. I could. A lot of hosts would just pound on that. See, you don't even know your book. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know. But I don't. I would go, all right, no problem. Just promise me you'll make a note and let's move on and talk about something else. Come back on the show in a month and we'll discuss that. And we move on. And then a month later, another Christian emails and goes, you need to have me on your show because I'll have you bowing before Jesus within an hour. I go, all right, come on. So we set it up and they come on the show and then we, they mention slavery and they go, that was just indentured servitude. And I go, but, but it says here in Leviticus that you can pass your slaves down to your children because they are your property. And they go, oh, oh, I, I need to, uh, I need to look into that. I, I. I got to be honest, I, di- I didn't know that was in there. I, that, maybe that's a context translation error or something. I, I'm just going to make a note and come back to that later. And I go, okay, do that, you know, once every month or two months or five months for 13 years, okay, and then have someone come on the podcast. I'm now 43 years old. I've been at this since I was 30, and someone comes on the podcast, and they go, yeah, but slavery was just injured servitude. And I go, stop with the bullshit, Right. So if you're if this is your first time on my show, this is your first time talking to me, you're going to go, that guy's that's unhealthy skepticism. This guy's not open to other ideas. This guy's so convinced of his ways. He's not willing to change his mind. What you don't know is I was willing to change my mind for the first 13 years. And for 13 years straight, everyone failed to give a logical explanation for this. They backed out of the conversation. I let them squirrel out of it. And now here you are, number 71, to come on the show and throw this argument out. What might look like unhealthy skepticism to you is really just me being fed up with a bullshit answer to something that Christians just can't make sense of. And this is just one argument. This is just one one example. There are multiple examples. But I just want to put that out there. 
here that that sometimes you're just seeing a skeptic in a different place because they are sick of the conversation. They are sick of people pretending to be more moral while holding on to very immoral views that justify slavery or justify stomping out of the Amalekites or or justify dashing babies against rocks or justify having meat come out of the the Egyptians' noses or the 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 Israelites' noses when they when they um, escaped uh, Egypt and then complained that they didn't have enough food or or they wanted different food or whatever whatever thing you pick whatever that is it it, it you might just be seeing that skeptic or that non-believer in a in a in a place of being fed up with having this conversation just to be fair with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and that's fine. So I, I think uh, environmental factors and consistency in hearing certain things, right? It, it puts us in a position where um, having these types of conversations, especially from your perspective of skepticism, having this these types of conversations, um, you put yourself in a position to hear a lot of different answers. Um, but ultimately, this would be my question. What conclusions have you come to, right? So, so if we're evaluating, okay, just like the doctrine of hell, like we were just talking about, and I'm saying, okay, I think based off of the data, um, specifically what we're talking about is scripture, right? I think based off the data, this conclusion makes the most hermeneutical sense. It, it is it is proper exegesis. It, it makes the most historical sense. Like I'm going to make arguments on how I came to truth uh, regarding this specific topic. And so I think when it's unhealthy is where you hear, and I'm not saying this is you necessarily, but maybe it's you. I don't know. I think it's unhealthy where we hear a whole bunch of different argumentation, but then we never actually go to look at for ourselves what we think would be the most credible hypothesis um, when we're representing some sort of hermeneutical argument. So like, like I said, the doctrine of hell, you have these views that are presented, purgatory, annihilationism, eternal conscious torment, and universalism. If all if you have four Christians on and each view is being presented and you're just saying, OK, I'm skeptical of all of these ideas, but then you never actually do the research into an internal critique and say, OK, but if I were a believer, I think this would make the absolute most sense given the data. Um that's where skepticism, I think, is a little more healthy because you're not just rejecting the ideas because of the multitude of different versions that you've heard, but you're able to reject the ideas from saying, okay, listen, I've done my own study on this, and I actually think the text, if I were a Christian, it would make the most sense that this would be the belief I would hold. Okay, so 
This is where I think this conversation could go one of two ways. I could follow you down the rabbit hole and we could get into this philosophical debate using these philosophical terms that roughly 65% of the listening audience is not going to understand or, or care about. Yeah. Or we can keep this conversation in reality and, and just be two guys talking about faith. I'm yeah, going I'm I'm to do that. So a lot I'm, I'm going to choose the latter. I'm going to choose the rules for you. Well, because good. you hold such you, you hold such a uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Normally, like my conversations with atheists, I I do not predominantly bring up Christianity. A, a lot of the conversations I have on TikTok and live, I'll go into an atheist live and I'll start talking to them, and they'll ask me what my religion is, and I'll just say, um, I mean, you can look at my profile, but as for right now, don't worry about it. Okay, I want to. I want to. I want to stick. I want to stick to. I, I don't want to get too far away from what you said. I, I don't yeah. want to lose it. I don't want to lose them. L let me just say this for the for the people listening who hear things like hermeneutics and exegesis and those those things th they basically mean the same thing. Okay, exegesis and hermeneutics is just the, like methodology of interpreting scripture in general. Okay, so when you hear him say exegesis. It's just yeah, it's it, it just means explaining in or interpreting biblical text. And hermeneutics is a very specific um methodology by which to interpret biblical text. So he just means like just diving into the biblical text. Whenever if if I were to say, ah, oh, slavery is wrong, and a pastor goes, Well, that's not slavery like you think slavery. Do we dive into that verse and go, what was the original Greek here? What was the original Aramaic? What did they really mean? That's really what we're talking about. What were rather than just taking the words off the paper that have been translated and translated and translated, what what did they mean in that context? That's what he means by exegesis and hermeneutics. John, from that perspective, I think you and I could geek out on that for hours. Even if I put my Christian hat on, we could do that for fun and very few people would enjoy it <laughs> because I could do the same thing with the meanings behind Peter Pan and I could do the same meeting. I could do the same thing with the meanings behind Harry Potter. What did they really mean when Harry said this? Was this symbolism for this? Did this have have racial undertones or not? Did did this have a greater social meaning for people to open their eyes about this issue? Or is this an actual blind spot for the author? We could dive into that as though Harry Potter is real, and we could have a hermeneutics discussion or an exegesis discussion about specific lines in Harry Potter or Peter Pan. It doesn't mean it's logical for either of those to exist. A boy who does magic and flies on a broom or a boy who does magic and flies without a broom. Either way, me being able to get into hermeneutics or exegesis doesn't mean I'm granting you that it's logical for any of this stuff to exist. So my bigger issue, the thing that I really want to focus on is critical thinking. I want people to come to this podcast, have a good time, first of all, and and laugh a little and not take themselves so seriously, but also take a kind of take a look into what they really believe 
and if it makes sense or if it's if it just feels like it makes sense because they were indoctrinated. And so I just want to back out of this conversation of hell and go, does it make sense at all that people who believe get to go have an eternal party and people who have skepticism are punished for that skepticism by no longer existing. Now, keep in mind, this, this is the idea of hell that I have, have advocated for. I've said this would be the more moral way to go, and I still think that. But now that we're on that same page, now I can move into the next phase, which is how is it, how is it moral in, in what other situation is it immoral to challenge the status quo? We celebrate politicians who challenge the status quo. We celebrate scientists. We hand out Nobel, well, we hand out Nobel prizes for people who, status, who challenge the status quo. People who break norms, they're called trendsetters. People who say, well, I have a question about that. We celebrate that, and that's how we make progress in every part of life, whether it's classifying animal kingdoms or, 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 or um, different, different phylums of, 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 of the animal kingdom or, or, or cell explanation or medical science or vaccines or anything. Any scientist, any well-educated, informed person raises their hand and say, and, and, and says, well, I'm not so sure I agree with this piece. You, you welcome that. I was in a writer's meeting this morning for a, for a sketch comedy show, and I threw out an idea, and someone said, I don't like that because this. And I agreed with their assessment, and I went, oh, that's brilliant. You're right. I'm so glad you didn't take my suggestion. That wouldn't have made sense because something that happens later on. And we moved on. I was corrected, I was wrong, and we moved on, and the show is better for it. Later on, that same person had a suggestion, and I said, I actually disagree. I think we should go this way. And that same person went, you know what? I think you're right. Let's move forward with that instead. And it got a bigger laugh in the room, and everybody said, you're right. That's funnier. Let's move toward that. Challenging and asking questions is how we get better at everything. Does it bother you that the one thing we're challenging and questioning is is worthy of punishment is your faith so let me let me check you on some consistency here right under a naturalistic atheistic worldview we would just say okay you believe you're going to not exist to begin with right that that's your position but you then kind of doing an internal critique, you say, okay, but if God chooses for me not to exist, now it's immoral. So my question would be just first off, is non-existence immoral or moral? And what would make it immoral if that is ultimately based off of your own current worldview, uh, the ideal outcome? Yeah, great question. It's not moral or immoral on its face. The the point is 
if this were really happening, if if we were both dying right now and we both got a notice and you were like, oh, cool, I got invited to the after party. And I got a notice that said, you're not coming to the after party. Have a good sleep. Peace out. Um, I wouldn't, when I was, when I went to sleep, I, I wouldn't know I was missing anything. I wouldn't be aware of it, right? It's not like I get to, I have to watch you through an eternal window, have a party while I'm sitting, you know, in an attic somewhere, sweating my ass off. It's it's more so that I'm just not going to exist. And, and I think from all of the positions of hell I've ever heard proposed before, this is the more moral way to do it. Take the people who didn't play along with the game and just tell them they don't exist anymore. And the people who did play along, the reward is eternal happiness with the Father in heaven. That, to me, is the most moral way to deal with this if this were real. Um, But it does beg the question... Why does skepticism get punished? Why in, Proverb, why in I, Proverbs 3, 5 does it say, lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord your God? Why is leaning on your own understanding a bad thing? Why is asking questions and pushing back on the status quo a bad thing only in your faith when in every other aspect of life it's considered a pretty good way forward. Yeah. So I, I would just reject that idea altogether. So um, the Proverbs verse where it says, lean not on your own understanding. Uh, you have to, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So I, I, again, not, not talking about hermeneutics or exegesis, but just contextually when we're evaluating that verse, we have to ask, okay, is this really making claims on knowledge? Or is it making a statement having to do with just trusting in God? All right, hold on. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to get too far off, John. I want to be clear that my initial question to you was: Does it yeah. bother you that your faith is the really is really the only place in human existence where questioning and being skeptical and saying I don't believe you is considered a bad thing? We do it in court to positive outcomes. We do it with laws. And passing legislation with positive outcomes. We do it with police behavior and moral behavior and civil disobedience. We push back against the status quo, and that is how we obtain progress. Everything that Martin Luther King Jr. did was pushing back, being skeptical, and saying, I don't believe this is the right way forward. Let's try something new. He was celebrated for that. You look at Gandhi. You look at Thomas Edison. You look at our, our, the, 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 the signers of the Declaration of Independence. All of these people pushed back against the status quo, and something better happened because of it. Does it bother you? That the only time where skepticism and asking questions and saying, I don't believe you, seems to be punishable by non-existence is your faith. Yeah, so I, I, would, just, I would just reject the premise of the question, right? Um, the idea that you're saying uh, this is the case and this is the only place that it exists We've already agreed and substantiated that unhealthy skepticism exists. Would you agree that unhealthy skepticism, if it exists, that it is an affront toward the exact same point you're making, right? It doesn't just – unhealthy skepticism doesn't just exist in Christianity. Unhealthy skepticism as a whole exists in many walks of life, right? So let's talk about like scientifically, people who are 
skeptic of the moon landing, people who are skeptic of a round earth and they think the earth is flat. Well, you and I both would agree that that is a negative, that they are holding to this idea and that their skepticism is so far gone that they actually are in a place of unhealthiness. So to say that it's comparative and that Christianity and my faith is the only place that it exists, I just immediately reject the premise of the question. Um, uh, let me let me clarify what I mean. I partially agree with you. There is a quote that gets circulated uh, that I said, I don't know if it was in a book or on a podcast, but um, Atheist Republic picked it up, made a meme out of it, and it went viral. And the quote is, being a skeptic doesn't just mean refraining from automatic acceptance. It includes refraining from automatic rejection as well. The idea is if you're sitting if if you're sitting in your YouTube studio or your office or your wherever and anything somebody brings to you you go bullshit bullshit don't believe it nope done nope that's stupid nope stupid bullshit bullshit you're not a skeptic you're not being skeptical by shooting down everything you're you're also you're being a bad skeptic um if, if you're automatically rejecting everything as well. So I agree with you that there is unhealthy skepticism, and that quote of mine has been around for probably 10 years or more. So I'm, I'm on board with the idea of bad skepticism. That's not my point. My point is that in respected fields, skepticism is welcomed. Skepticism is welcomed and rewarded in science, in medicine, in politics, in anything that makes progress for humans, in writers' rooms, in, in writing movies and television shows, skepticism and challenging, ch offering challenges to the person in charge, saying you disagree with the head writer doesn't always work out well because some writers have these these ego complexes and they shut you down and they and they start fights. And guess what? Those end up not being very good shows. But on, on movie sets where I can walk up directly to the director and say, I don't think my character would say this and here's why. The guy that says, shut up and do your lines, that's usually a terrible show or movie. And the guy that says, good point, what do you think he would say? And when I say what I think he would say, and the director goes, oh, you're right. That's usually a pretty good project to be on. Yeah. Your belief system does not welcome skepticism. In yeah, fact, I disagree with that. You disagree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Tell me. I I would say yeah, I would say uh cuz John, I I could tell you there's about 1 in 5 people listening to this right now have literally been kicked out of Sunday school for asking questions. Exactly. So so there has to be a separation between the people and the actual belief, right? So the people within the belief may absolutely reject skepticism, but does that adequately represent the belief as a whole? I would say absolutely not. That knowledge is actually integral and, and gaining knowledge is integral to um, the Christian experience, that there is no place where the idea of like, so for example, uh, Solomon, right? It, one of the things that we have in the Proverbs and, and represented within the Solomon, within Solomon's narrative is where he asked God 
for wisdom. And he didn't ask him for money, didn't ask him for anything like that. He asked him for wisdom. And because God was so pleased with him asking for wisdom and asking for knowledge on how to govern and how to be a king properly, he was actually rewarded with things other than that. And God gave him um, many different things. And so, like I said, I, I, I think ultimately it's just begging the question. First off, begging the question when you say that um, you're assuming that the only place it exists where skepticism is unwelcome is within the Christian faith. Well, I, I would just disagree. Um, I can name look, other religions. Look, look, clearly, clearly there are – that's why I revised my statement to say respectable fields because clearly there are – like I don't think a lot of skepticism is welcome at Amazon. Right. I don't think the person packing the truck can go to Jeff Bezos and say, I disagree with how you're running this company. Starbucks, clearly another issue. This is why unions have to exist. Right. So, yeah. OK, perhaps I misspoke when I said it's the only and I shouldn't have spoken in absolutes. But when we're talking about major respected fields, science, politics, making progress, Hollywood, anything that we tend to like that it either moves forward or we enjoy it. Things get better with skepticism and challenges. Uh, if, if one guy designed a car, didn't have a team around him, didn't have anyone willing to challenge him. He just on his own, wrote his own, his own thing and, and developed his own car. It would have so many problems. It would be ridiculous. The fact that you can bring a group of people together who can disagree is a good thing. It's good for science. It's good for medicine. It's good for politics. It's good for Hollywood. It's good for technology, for iPhones, for Android, for Samsung, for televisions. Everything, everything that we're using right now to communicate came about because someone was skeptical of something and challenged the status quo. And now this stuff exists when it didn't exist before. That's my point. But in your faith, challenging something, the ultimate end result is you don't get to come to the after party because you asked too many questions. You didn't die believing this. You didn't have sufficient evidence to believe, so you don't get to come to the after party. My question is, how do you what does that say about your faith when me challenging it? When me challenging it means I don't get to come to the after party. I'm not welcome because of my challenges. Yeah. So ultimately, I would say, um, and, and this is consistent with my own beliefs, um, theologically, is to say that the only way you don't get invited is the rejection of Jesus, right? The the rejection of his life, death, resurrection. Well, okay, hold that, on. Let me, let me ask is, a question then. Let me ask a question. Is is saying I I'm not sure if Jesus existed? Is that the same as rejection? Well, <laughs> ultimately, I, I would say that falls directly in line with unhealthy skepticism. Well, hold on. Um, oh, no, 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 no. That's very healthy. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. Here. What? I mean, no, no, no. Say, look, 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 there are tons of scholars who have brought up very good arguments that there, that Jesus is kind of a culmination of many people who existed at that time and and has kind of been deified over time. In fact, there, it was basically just a person named Ishua, which was basically Joshua at the time. It was a very common name. Lots of people could have had the name. There were multiple people being, you know, saying that they were messiahs, Apollonius of Tyana being one. Many people claimed to have powers of walking on water. 
water and resurrections and all sorts of things. Jesus just caught on. So there are a lot of people who, a lot of scholars, growing number of scholars, in fact, who are saying, oh, Jesus, uh, maybe, maybe not. But if he did, let's move on to that conversation. But saying that I'm not quite sure if Jesus existed or not, and it's, I mean, of course, there was a person named Joshua at that time. I believe that. But the deified walking on water, healing a blind man by rubbing spit and mud in his eye, that Jesus who died and then resurrected and floated to heaven, that Jesus, if we're not sure if that Jesus existed, that by definition is skepticism. And I think it's healthy to say, I'm not, I'm not sure if a guy with those powers existed. Um, that's, that's very healthy skepticism. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, um, I think it would so. be unhealthy if you were to say, let me show you the evidence for Jesus. And I went, nope. And I plugged my ears and went, blah, 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 blah. that would be unhealthy. But, but me reviewing the evidence over 13 years, reading, I think six books on the issue, having multiple people on my show, probably over a hundred talking about the issue. And then, I mean, I've had over 600 episodes. Of, or am I on 600 episodes? Yeah, something like that. And and then saying, and then saying, uh, I'm not really sure if he existed because I've had people on from both walks of life, and I'm unsure. That is healthy skepticism, John. That is very healthy skepticism. But my my point is, I don't think that being unsure of, of something is the same as rejecting it. Now, my mom taught me from a very young age that that never believing isn't as bad as saying you believe and then turning your back and saying, I know you exist and I don't want to follow you. That is rejection. The, 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 if you look at a woman and say, I think you're very attractive. I would like to go out with you. Can I have your number? And she says, no, that is rejection. But okay, so you just seeing her walk away and going, man, I wonder if she would have been into me or not. She never got a chance to reject you because she wasn't sure if you even were interested or existed. So I don't think that me being skeptical of the existence of Jesus is the same as rejecting Jesus. So maybe I'm going to get in on a technicality. Okay. All right. So let's unpack a couple things you said here. Okay. Um, so first off, the idea that Jesus didn't exist, um, I'm not going to go too far into it, but ske healthy skepticism and unhealthy skepticism is in the eye of the beholder, right? So if you're talking to someone, and again, this is going to be categorical differences. If you're talking to someone who says, you know what, flat earth exists, regardless of being presented all the evidence for a, uh, a round earth, um, well, you're going to say that's unhealthy skepticism. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, no, 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 this is very healthy skepticism. Now, when we're uh, applying a scientific methodology and we're saying, okay, but we can evaluate this empirically. We can evaluate these things through observation, through the scientific method, and through testing and through photographs and through Well, videos. hold on. That's exactly why it's unhealthy skepticism, by the way. Well, that, no, no, no. So I would disagree, right? I, I think it's unhealthy, not just because you're um, you're relying on the scientific method and you're able to show those observations. I think it's also unhealthy when you do it in a different category as well. So science is one category. History is a separate category. And so you're not going to apply the same methodology within science as you would history. And so – Ultimately, what we have to ask, and I need to send you my YouTube video. Maybe I can convince you of Jesus's existence. I don't know. Um, but 
whenever we're looking at these different methodologies, we say, okay, science categorically is evaluated one way. History is categorically evaluated a separate way. And so what we have to do is say, okay, what is our criteria for evaluating historical truth? Because I know you wouldn't disagree with this, that Jesus's existence is a fringe theory. There are people who uh, are proponents of it. There are people like Richard Carrier and Robert Price. And um, the idea that it's growing, uh, I would really be interested to see some evidence of that because um, in the community like uh, Bart Ehrman and stuff like that, yeah. I know you've heard that name. Oh, I've already had my issues with, with Bart. Um, yeah, but I've, in, I've, in, I've, 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 I've personally – I'm, 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 I've seen personal evidence of Bart intentionally ignoring evidence. So, uh, you know, he's, he's not, oh, he, he's, he's not, I, he's not somebody I would put in the top 10, uh, of, of, of scholarship, like most people who do what I do. So I'm, I'm not concerned with that. My, yeah. my, yeah, I mean, my, okay, like, look, year, pro, look, when we first started talking, I know that I gave you the name David Fitzgerald. And I gave you a couple of books to read that were kind of entry level into just looking at the Jesus character and wondering if there was a historical person named Jesus. And you wrote it down and you said you were going to read it. I'm guessing you never did. I'm willing to make a bet with you or, or a deal with you. I will watch your video and dedicate a podcast to it if you are willing to listen to the two audiobooks or read these two books I give you and come back on and discuss those with the author. No, that that's fine. Um, ultimately, uh, I'm looking it up right now. Is it? So there are two of them. Nailed. What? Is it nailed? Yeah, that's the first one. Nailed ten Christian myths that show Jesus never existed. That's the first one. Um, the second one is uh, Jesus mything in action. M Y T H. Mything in action. Okay. No. So I, I've read multiple books. I haven't read these specific ones, but I've read multiple books um, regarding the historicity of Jesus. The The flaw of every single one of them is that their historical methodology is just non-existent. A criteria that's established for evaluating historical Okay. You're, uh, John, you're you're literally judging a book by its cover right now. You're no, telling no. you're telling me you're no. telling me flaws of two books you haven't read and and let me be on let me let me just say this with you. Um yeah, I'm telling you the books I've read. The the I, author I, I, the author David Fitzgerald of both of those books I just said does not make a claim that Jesus doesn't exist. I know it sounds like it from the cover, but he says he is a militant agnostic and you should be too. He does not know. He just wants to dispel this idea that that's a given that 100 everybody knows jesus existed he's like well hold on a second i don't know if jesus existed and neither do you and let's prove that and it's it's very well done and so let's let's move on to something else read those two books i will watch your video we will reconvene at another time about the existence of jesus deal yeah that's fine all right cool um but, so back to the point we were making though um the separation between healthy skepticism and unhealthy skepticism, it's in the eye of the beholder. And so to me, uh, the subject of the existence of Jesus is unhealthy skepticism. The um, claim of rejecting the supernatural uh, just in favor of a naturalistic worldview a priori, 
that is an unreasonable skepticism. Um, so like I said, you said a couple of claims there that you just said, okay, walking on water or these miracles or, or, or whatever. Um, just kind of, I, let me ask, are you denying miracles outright or are you saying just, okay, no, no evidence for it or what? Uh, I didn't make a claim either way when it came to that. I was talking about essentially that, um, specifically Jesus. Okay. What I was saying was multiple people made claims of miracles. You deny, you deny that, um, Apollonius of Tyana could walk on water or resurrect people from the dead. Well, so I, I, I don't deny, I don't, I don't have a clue about it. Oh, okay. I, I assume that you would. Okay, my bad. Maybe you're maybe you're uh, polytheistic. So I've, 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 maybe. Done, I've done a podcast. Oh, well, not a podcast. I, I, I had a conversation with um, Michael Jones on um, like debunking the whole – well, okay. I'll, I'll say debunking rigorously, but um, <laughs> debun debunking the whole idea of Jesus being like other rising and dying gods mythologically. Right. Um and Apollonius of Tyana, that wasn't one of them that came up because I guess it's just not a popular one. I think I've heard the name, but I've never actually yeah. dug into it to where I can make a claim one way or the other. My, my point was this: the only reason I brought that stuff up is because Jesus wasn't the only guy people were talking about. There were, there were other uh, messiahs, uh, people claiming to be messiahs. People claimed to walk through walls. People claimed to appear after dying. Um, there were many stories like that, just like there were flood stories before Noah's story. There's the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, and there's um, there's all these claims out there where Jesus is just a copycat of other religions. Um, and ultimately, I would say, listen, if the only thing we're evaluating well, is going to be uh, just an individual claim mentioned, then I would say, yeah, that's probably not good evidence. But the culmination <laughs> of claims, the culmination of the evidence regarding certain historical events, regarding certain things. Like I said, you have to have a criteria. And I wasn't saying this about the David Fitzgerald books. I said the books I read um, specifically, they are they don't present a strong historical criteria to evaluate historical truth. And if you don't present a criteria, then you're not really, uh, you're not doing history. You're not doing history. You're you're doing something else. I have the same problem with like the Quran. Right? Well, I mean, look, the, the the problem with that though, John, is regardless of what facts we put where or mistakes made in history or whatever, we know that mistakes are made when when documenting history. But nothing can make magic happen. And so the problem is you're trying to evaluate this based on historical record and how history is actually cataloged and then and then reinterpreted. But then people documented things as quote unquote history that we know are literally physically impossible. The a resurrect coming back from the dead after being killed or floating to a metaphysical spiritual realm that we can't see. Um, but saying saying that's impossible, like I said, you're 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 just applying uh, like Humean 
Humean philosophy here. Well, yeah, physics. <laughs> physics and gravity and reality. Which, so, which... so none of those have a bearing on whether or not supernatural things exist. Wow. And and that's why we are very different people, John. Oh, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, <laughs> right. the, the problem – listen, the problem with David Hume is that he has come to a conclusion – based off of um, not as a reliable – so uh, I'm not trying to get too in the philosophical weeds here. Yeah, don't. You know I won't allow it. I don't, I don't yeah, like yeah. it, and I'm, I'm not a fan of Hume, by the way. Okay. Well, the idea – well, it's kind of the same idea though, right? Just the rejection um, that miracles are like magic and that it's uh, going to somehow defy some laws of nature or, or something like that. That's just, that's just yeah I, I just reject that premise directly. So again, that's that's just begging the question. It's assuming that the question you're asking already has a true conclusion to it. Mm, I don't necessarily think so, but let's do this. I want to move into one final piece before we get into the Patreon portion, and and that is your I guess biggest problem with people who are non-believers. You. I texted you uh, something. I think I said, what's your biggest problem with atheists or atheism or biggest problem with non-believers or skeptics or something? And your response was interesting. And I don't want to read it because I think it's 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 going to encompass your entire argument here. So I want to give you a chance to to tell us what what your biggest issue is, again, before we get into the story of your old church and why you left and all the, all the craziness that went down. Um, give me that reason. Or, or, or that that biggest problem you have with 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 non-believers, this idea that that even non-believers exist. What's your biggest problem there? Okay, so uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, my position on atheism is the reason I have a problem is one because I don't believe it's true. Um, well, atheism doesn't make a positive claim. I disagree. So. <laughs> for thousands of years, atheism was a positive claim. Yeah. Um, it is only not until recently uh, that atheism has changed from a positive claim. So philosophically, the idea of atheism was theos with God, atheos without God. And so it was the negation of the theistic claim. No, no, and no, no, no. Hold on. It's not necessarily a negation it's just a lack of a belief in that in that faith. No, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm telling you, without God, I live my life without the idea of God, and I do just fine. And there are people who live their lives with God, and that's fine. But my my life can go on without God in it, and I'm okay with that. That's all it is. It's a lack of theism. It's not that hard. It's it's not a. I'm not making a positive claim that I know for sure nothing out there exists. In fact, John, the more we learn about our universe, the more likely there are things and beings out there that we don't understand. I'm totally fine with that mystery without just looking at one book written, you know, 4,000 years ago or, or, or 2,000 years ago here on planet Earth that's filled with so many scientific inaccuracies. I just I, – I, saying that you don't believe in any of the gods that have been proposed is not a positive claim. I agree. So what I, what I said, if you uh, go back – 
I said for thousands of years, atheism was a positive claim. It was the negation of theism. It was the claim that there is no God, right? So today it would be someone who is a Gnostic theist, someone who makes the claim there is no God. Um, the agnostic atheism, the idea of uh, it's just the lack of belief. Or that's lack me. Of belief. That'd be me, yeah, by that, the way. That's you. Yeah. I'm not saying you're making a positive claim. That wasn't my, my, my position. My position is that you're not making a positive claim, but you're still tacking on the definition. Like, and this is just semantical, ultimately, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with words changing definitions over time, right? That, that's, that's perfectly fine. But ultimately, what it's done is you have people argue in such a fashion, and I, I see it all the time. You have people argue in such a fashion where they will say things that, that are positive claims, right? They'll say things like uh, Sky Daddy, or they'll say things like miracles are impossible, or they'll, they'll use these very specific terminologies that actually lead to a, a, a finality of a position. But then they'll go back and say, oh, I'm not saying God doesn't exist. And so the problem is, is that, like I said, for thousands of years, atheism was the positive claim, there is no God, it was without God. Theism was the claim that they were with God, that there was a God that exists. Agnosticism was the claim that I did not know. Now we have this brand of atheism, which you said you are, where it has shifted and changed to where it's just agnosticism repackaged. Um, that it's not actually, the atheism point is not really uh, it's not really relevant, and I think ultimately within epistemology, it just it's the avoidance of a burden of proof for hard stances. And I'm not saying necessarily you, but some atheists I've encountered, they'll make very hard stances on certain positions surrounding a god, but then ultimately they'll say, okay, but you know what, a god could exist, and it's just to me, it's an avoidance of the burden of proof and. No offense, it's just kind of, it's lazy. Yeah, well, I've literally built a career doing it for 13 years, and the amount of conversations and research I've done is the exact opposite of lazy. So I do take offense to that, and you're absolutely dead wrong. My position, my position, not saying lazy as a person, my position of diving into this stuff and and challenging it and fact-checking it has been uh, 13 years of grueling work. So referring to anything I've done as lazy is, uh, completely inaccurate. Um, miracles, saying miracles are impossible is somewhat of a positive claim, but keep in mind that when you hear a naturalist say something like that, just always assume there's a comma, not a period. And after the comma, follows the words in a naturalistic world, right? Because that's all we can prove exists right now. Anything that is metaphysical, because the, the very definition of a miracle is an event that is not explained by natural laws, so it must be divine. That's the whole concept behind the term miracle. Now, that term has grown, you know, over time. It's, it's evolved. I mean, you know, atheists use the term miracle all the time to say that was unexpected or that was crazy or what are the odds. But the actual definition of miracle is divine intervention because there is no natural explanation. And, and quite often, things that are referred to as miracles 
end up do having a natural explanation. It was just one we weren't quite aware of, right? Uh, think of early humans watching the sun travel through the sky and go, yeah, absolutely no physical way that's possible. Well, now we know there is, in fact, a way that's possible. So as human knowledge evolves and grows, miracles start to go away. So when when you hear someone say miracles are impossible, they're not proving that there is no God. They're not making a positive claim that there is no God. They're just saying, according to the natural world, there is no scientific evidence to support divine intervention because there is no uh, scientific evidence to prove the divine to begin with. That's what people mean when they say miracles are impossible. Just Keep that in mind. So, oh, no. and this idea, I've, I've had direct conversations with people that just make the positive claim. Well, I've had direct conversations with atheists who think they can make rainbows appear and they can transport, literally teleport to another realm and talk to dead people. So I'm not saying that everyone yeah. who is a non-believer is completely skeptical universally, okay? There are definitely people who do not believe in your specific deity yet still have very far-fetched beliefs and ideas about the world that they can't prove. There yeah, are overall spiritualism. There yeah. are tons and tons of hippie skeptics in Los Angeles who will laugh at Christianity and roll their eyes at God claims yet walk right into a Scientology building. Okay. <laughs> there are, there are people in Los Angeles who mock Christianity as conservative, you know, the religious right nonsense, yet they will spend $200 on a crystal and leave it out at night so it can charge in the moonlight to bring them good energy tomorrow. Uh, I'm not saying these people are skeptical across the board. There are people with bad ideas who reject Christianity, and that's why atheism is not a religion. Atheism is not a positive claim. There is not a, a uh, some sort of universal atheist doctrine that must be followed. It is the very generic lack of faith. In fact, I kind of agree with you when you say it's agnosticism repackaged in that agnosticism is atheism. John, if you say I do not know if a God exists or not, you're just honest. <laughs> you do yeah. not know. You you do not know. So you are agnostic. Therefore, what God do you believe in? You don't have one. You are atheos without gods. So in your agnosticism, which is your conclusion, you have found atheism, which is your belief. It is a lack thereof. So well, Gnosticism maybe, maybe is knowledge and, and the theism or atheism deals with what you believe based on said knowledge. And if you acknowledge your agnosticism that you're unsure if, if a God exists or not, you live your life without gods. Welcome to atheos. Yeah. So for you, maybe. Um, no, for are, reality, but, John. No, 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 no. So I'm saying uh, to say positively that there are no atheists that make the claim that there is no God is just demonstrably false. No, I didn't say that. I didn't, yeah, you said, you I said didn't say there are no atheists. I never said there are no atheists who do not make the claim. Or who well, what, make the what you said was atheism 
is uh, not, you, this is what you did say. You said atheism is not a positive claim, right? Yeah, right. Atheism okay, in itself so, is not, but that doesn't mean there aren't people who who lack the belief in your God and also go a step further and make claims they can't prove. But them making that claim is not atheism, and you assigning that to atheism is an equivocation fallacy. No, that's that's not true. Yes, um, it is, John. So no, that that's no. like me. That's like me talking about priests who molest children and calling that Christianity. And you saying, well, that's not real Christianity. And I go, oh, no true Scotsman. They're Christian. They did it. Therefore, that's Christianity. An atheist making a claim that there is no God doesn't suddenly make that the new brand of atheism, John. It's an equivocation fallacy to say that because an atheist did a thing, that now represents atheism. It doesn't represent atheism any more than molesting a child represents Christianity. Okay, so then you have, you have to ask me this then. Or you have to answer me this. How do you differentiate your atheism from someone else's atheism? I don't give a shit. Well, that, that, but that's my point. No, no, no. No, if that's I, my I, point, I, John. My entire point is that I don't have a belief system I ascribe to. I rarely even call myself an atheist. Yeah. That, that, I refer to myself as a skeptic or a non-believer. Technically, yeah, I'm an, I'm without gods. I don't believe that there are any gods out there. I have a lack of belief, and I think every god that has been proposed fails to prove itself on paper or in the natural world. That's my position. But I, I yeah, don't make that, a positive claim about anything. Yeah, that, that's what I agree with you on. The only thing I jumped on is when you said atheism does not make a positive claim. That's a positive claim itself. But if I show you one atheist that says, I'm an atheist, I'm a true atheist, I'm a Gnostic atheist, and I make the claim there is no God, then that definitionally will be defined as atheism. No, right? that is your equivocation fallacy. That's not equivocation. What, yes, it is. Let me explain. You just you just equalized or equivocated a person with an ideology or worldview. You the said you said if the ideology atheism does not make the claim that there are no gods. That is a true statement. The 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 term atheism is without gods, lacking a belief in a god or gods. That is atheism that is not a positive claim. And then you said, if a person, there's your equivocation fallacy, if a person who identifies as atheist then makes a positive claim, we have to now change the definition of atheism to include whatever this jackass thinks? No, thank you. That person, that person can be an atheist, okay, by lacking belief. And they can also make a claim they can't prove by asserting that they know for a fact no other beings exist. That doesn't mean atheism changes, John. We don't have a system of pastors and preachers with a doctrine that I have to adhere to. That's why I said I don't give a shit. I don't care. I know atheists, like I said, who think they can summon rainbows. That doesn't mean atheism includes the ability to summon rainbows. So when atheists saying they know for a fact there is no God, that doesn't affect me in the slightest. I think they are wrong about that positive claim. 
Just like I think priests being wrong with molesting children does not represent Christianity accurately. Yeah, but they're 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 not uh, they're not analogous, right? So the thing in question is not the person's actions; it's the ideology as a whole that the person holds, right? So if we have two people, we have you, and like I said, I don't. This is mainly semantic, but this is just where we are right now. If I have you in a room and you say atheism is the lack of belief in God, stop, John. That's not me saying it. That's literally the definition. This that, is that's your, changed. That's the point. Okay, maybe, maybe that term has evolved, but for a long time, that's what it's been. Because, like I said, you in a room and you say I, atheism is the lack of belief in God, and then another person who says I'm an atheist, and that mean atheism means there is no God. How do we actually evaluate um, what atheism is using those parameters? John, it doesn't matter. I agree. That's why I said it doesn't it. matter what it is. It, it the idea is the the if you if you look up the word atheism, it says a lack of belief in the existence of God or gods. That's it. It's a single opinion about a single thing. There that's, are there are loads of atheists who lack belief in your deity that I would agree with on thirty other points. I do, so, so, I do not have a, an atheist church I go to. I don't have an atheist leader I follow. It's literally the answer to one thing. This is a common problem I see. People, people come on the show and go, atheism can't give you a conclusion about the beginning of the life, and atheism can't give you a conclusion about, about animals and, and phylum and kingdoms. Hold on. Now you're talking about uh, abiogenesis. We have a thing for that. And now you're talking about evolution. We have a thing for that. Oh, now you're talking about astrology. We have a thing for that. Oh, now we're talking about astronomy. We have a thing for that. These are different words and different categories that should not be all piled onto the back of atheism. Atheism is literally just a, a notion about a single question. Do you live your life with a belief in a specific deity? If you do not... You are atheistic, period. You might be spiritual and atheistic. You might be a Buddhist and be atheistic. You can be religious in your practices, but not believe that a God exists. That is atheism. No other principles required. Summon your rainbows, go talk to your dead people, worship your rocks and charge them in the moonlight. If you don't believe in a God, you're still an atheist. And guess what? If an atheist says that their purple rock gives them energy, that doesn't suddenly become something I have to later defend on a podcast because an atheist said it. You're looking at atheism and Christianity as though they're both belief systems. They're not. Christianity is a set of beliefs that you have to adhere to, and you have rituals, and you have a book, and you have to be held accountable because you make claims to be connected with the creator of the universe. I make none of those claims, and neither does atheism. It's simply the answer to a single question. So an atheist who also makes a positive claim that he knows for a fact there is no gods gives me nothing to be held accountable for. I do not agree with him, and I'm still an atheist. That doesn't make my position lazy. That makes his position presumptuous. Yeah, and, and that's fine. Like I said, ultimately, though, um, 
the definition you gave of atheism is like the Webster's definition, right? If I, if I'm not mistaken. Is I that guess. correct? I didn't look it up. I don't know. I can pull it up and see what Webster actually says. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, um, specifically, this is uh, whenever we're talking theism with God, without God, whatever, it, it's the philosophy of religion. Philosophers for thousands of years has said it is the positive claim. And okay. so, like yeah. I said, ultimately, it doesn't matter. I completely agree. We, we both acknowledge that words change over time. And I think yep. that and, and I, I think and that I the original that, that the original atheos is I think it's a better interpretation of the text back then. I just pulled up yeah. Webster's definition. Merriam-Webster Webs says a lack of belief or a strong disbelief in the existence of a god or any gods. Okay, so atheism by Webster is classified the same way then. A lack of belief. is the That's the first four words. A lack of belief. Or what? Or a strong, a strong disbelief. disbelief, which is still fine. That's not a positive claim. A disbelief is not a positive claim. This conversation is getting pointless. I want to get into your uh, church history, but uh, you, you calling it you calling it agnosticism repackaged in the text to me is what I is what I really wanted to talk about. I I partially agree with that, and that I think, like I said, people who want to say I'm agnostic, well, you're you're also you're also an atheist. You may not like the word. Uh, but you are atheistic in that you are atheos, which is the original Greek. You are um, without gods. That's my only point. And, and I don't think it's lazy. And in fact, to just to, to put a button on this, John, if you think that my position doesn't offer any conclusions, first I'll say, so? Why do yeah, I have to have I, conclusions? I anything about that. Yeah, well, you did in your text. You said it, or you said earlier. Uh, I don't think that it offers any conclusions about about life or the or the world. Um, but no, I, I said it doesn't have any explanatory power. Explanatory power, right? Well, but yeah. but evolution has explanatory power. And abiogenesis has explanatory power, and biology has explanatory power, and the fossil record has explanatory power, and chemistry, and meteorology, and everything we know about our solar system and planets, all of that has explanatory power. That Absolutely. is not the job of atheism. Atheism is the answer to a single question. Well, I mean, there's some atheist philosophers that would disagree with you, but um, like I, said, I, I don't, I don't think they would. I, I don't on think one thing. I don't dead. think they would, John. No, I, 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 I don't think they would right. because atheism. Damn it! I keep dropping this thing. Atheism doesn't deal with evolution. It doesn't deal with our solar system. It doesn't deal with physics and chemistry it's literally the question or the answer to a single question that's it so if these atheist philosophers want to come on and say atheism says what it's literally one sentence a lack of a belief in gods what are you saying that atheism somehow answers how life got here there's no conclusion atheism gives you there it is a lack of a belief that in any any if you have an atheist philosopher, play them this portion of the show. And if they disagree with me, have them go to my website, davidcsmalley.com slash guest, or click be a guest 
on davidcsmalley.com. I'll have them on the show and we'll have this conversation because I don't think they would disagree with me. I think that they I think that they would say that an atheist or a naturalist typically implores things like evolution and abiogenesis and the study of, you know, um um physics and chemistry and all these other things that tell us everything we know. Those things have explanatory power, not atheism in itself. Now, do they typically run hand in hand? Of course. Atheists tend to be more scientific and focus on the science, while Christians tend to go the philosophy route and focus more on beliefs and emotion and feeling. And that's fine. But let's not let's not try to fit a square peg into a round hole by trying to make atheism uh, stand up for something it knows nothing about. That's my point there. Here's what I want to do. I want to find out your history with this church. I know that you moved, and I want to get into that. Uh, you were really excited about this church you were going to, and I want to hear the story because from your text, it did not go well, and I want to get into that in Patreon. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. Just to button up the last conversation. Of course well. you got to have the last word, John. That's how you roll. I, I, I'm sorry. I, th- this is, this is all I'll say. And, um, fundamentally that definition, again, semantical, not really super relevant, but just for the sake of conversation, um, it doesn't have any separation between agnosticism and atheism. Um, it combines the two and to say I that just, is, I just dispelled that John. Well, wait, to say that it's not a positive belief, let me ask one question. Do you believe there is no God? No, I lack belief in any God that has been proposed, Your Honor. Well, then it's the same thing, right? (laughs) I do not have a positive belief that nothing exists. I lack of a belief that's, I have a lack of a belief that something exists. Yeah, so there's not really a difference in those those statements. So it is a... Still is a belief and a lack of belief. No, it's, I think it's belief in lack of belief. I think <laughs> there's a difference there. I think the difference is one has the burden of proof to prove your belief, and the other says, "Show me evidence." No, because neither are positive claims. Well, no. If I say I have a positive belief that there are no gods, I should have some reason why I believe that. I should have some data to back up. Here are the reasons I believe there are no gods. But me, me, me rejecting your God individually is different from never believing in any God. But the fact that I have a lack of a belief is more open to evidence. And that's the more rational position. Okay. And by the way, the term doesn't combine the two agnosticism and atheism. I'll say this once more before we get into the next section. One deals with knowledge. The other deals with the belief that is t- that is obtained from the knowledge you have. So here I, w- I want to pull something up from you uh, for you. Uh DeWitt uh quote conclusion. Here we go. I printed this on um a t-shirt once for a uh, for a guy who was a pastor. Um you printed it on a t-shirt for a guy who was a pastor. <laughs> well, so he he was a pastor for 25 years and became a non-believer and wrote a book. His name is uh, Jerry DeWitt, a uh, really fun guy, great guy. Um, 
here, here's his quote, and we we I, I helped him get T-shirts made, is what I was saying. So I knew I know the quote exists. He was again, he was a he was a Pentecostal pastor for 25 years, <clears throat> and eventually lost his faith, and then wrote a book called Hope After Faith. I did the audio book. I produced the audio book for him, of which I did some voiceover, and he he read most of the book. It took us nine days to record it, primarily because he was so emotional during the during the reading of the book because he had gone through so much through his journey. But um, here's the quote. Hopefully this will clear up your misconception. It says, skepticism is my nature. Free thought is my methodology. Agnosticism is my conclusion. And atheism is my opinion. So the conclusion of agnosticism informs the opinion of atheism. They are not the same thing, but they typically go together. Does that clear it up? I'll let you have the last word. (laughs) (laughs) My name is on the podcast after all on this building. Sorry to anyway. Um, sorry to tease what, what's coming up. Uh, Let's get into your history with uh, you leaving a church in, uh, in, in, in a story that I think many people will be interested in as far as what, what would make a youth minister or a youth pastor get what seems to be the job of a lifetime working at this massive megachurch in, in uh, South Carolina, moving your entire family and out of state to, to do it only to get there and find out uh, things aren't always what they appear. We are going to cover that, and we're going to hear John's entire story at patreon.com slash David C. Smalley, where this conversation continues. And if you're not coming with us, please at least drive like you know each other.